Hello, everyone. My name is Aaron. I am the youth pastor here. I'm so excited to be teaching you a little bit about the God-man, about Jesus, um, what I've been learning uh, from Mark this week. And so I'm so excited that you guys are here uh, as we get this going. I want you, though, before we really get into it, I want you to think of a time that you have been afraid to do something, but you really wanted to do it. All right, like I want you to think of a time that you were really wanted to go out and do something, but you were so like scared you weren't able to do it. And I want you to like write this down, maybe hide it from your spouse if they're right there or something, you know, like, uh, you know, write, take a piece of paper or something, write this down. Think of a time that you were really scared to do something. Maybe it was like jumping off of a high cliff into some water. Maybe it was like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, hopefully. All right, maybe there was a time uh, you wanted to go ask maybe that boy or girl out, but, you know, you just couldn't get the nerves really to do it. Maybe um, you've, there's something out there that you wanted to do, but you were too nervous. All of a sudden, you were too afraid. We've probably all had an experience like that, right? We've all had times where we've been too nervous and too afraid to really get up, and do whatever the task is at, is at hand. Maybe we um, have doubts, or we have questions, or we don't trust our own abilities, or maybe we're kind of like this little video here. I'll be fine. Have fun. I'll do it. Well. Here goes something, I guess. Oh. Do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump. You got it. Whoa, my ski's slipping off. Just remember, never snowplow, okay? No snowplows. Keep it straight and you'll be fine. Do okay. You do on the 20. Straight. Do you go faster on the in run? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. Is it any steeper, do you think? Not same, much. Same steepness, it's just longer. Well, just longer. Just longer, just a bigger 20, that's all. Yep. Have it's fun. A bigger 20. Go ahead. You got this. I got it. <laughs> it's fine. You'll, you'll be fine. Okay. Here. The longer you wait, you'll be more scared. I go. Alright, so, right? Have we all been there? Have you been at the top of some mountain that you were so, like, you can hear it. I think it's this little girl. Her voice is just shaking and trembling. She's making excuses, right? Like, oh, my foot's slipping in this. You're on snow in skis. Like, come on. There's people next to her trying to cheer on, like, let's go. But you can, like, hear in her voice, like, just how, like, shaky and scared and nervous she is to be in that situation. Right? We've probably dealt with that. There's probably been times when you've been so scared, you've been shaking and you felt like you were going to puke and you just didn't think you could go through it. You didn't have confidence in yourself. You didn't believe in it. You were an unbeliever in that situation. I want us to um, look at this book. This book is called Gospel Fluency by a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt. I don't know, but it's Jeff Okay, um, and he opens up this book with some really great words, and I want to read them to you right now, and it starts out 
on page one, says this. He's talking about him as a pastor and a follower of Christ. He says this. I'm an unbeliever and so are you. Wait, you're thinking, what are you doing writing a book about the gospel of Jesus Christ if you're an unbeliever? It says, I grew up believing that people fall into two categories. Either you're a believer or an unbeliever. You either believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, or you don't. Now, after more than 25 years as a pastor, I see that every one of us is an unbeliever, including me. At least in some areas in our lives. I do believe there are some who are children of God and others who are not yet. There are those who have been given new life through faith in Jesus. And I believe there's others who are still died in their sins and not yet fully alive in Christ. When I say we are all unbelievers, I mean we still have places in our lives where we don't believe God. There are spaces where we don't trust his word and don't believe that what he has accomplished in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past or with what we're facing in the moment or the next. We don't believe his word is true or his work is sufficient. We don't believe we are unbelievers. That is a strong way to start out a book, especially if you're a pastor trying to sell to Christians mostly, right? It starts out with this harsh shame that says, we are unbelievers, but it makes us ask that question. Are there places in my life that I don't believe God? Are there places that I question about what God is doing in my life? Do I question and do I really believe what God is saying is true in this word? Do I believe it's true for me and the person sitting next to me? Today we're going to look at a couple stories. We're going to look at a guy, a father, who's going through a life situation that's so challenging, he questions his faith. Maybe some of us in this room are going through things in our own lives that we start to question our faith. Be like, why would God put me through this? Or maybe you've been going to church or been a follower of Christ for a long time and you just feel like you're not getting everything out of it. You feel like you're missing something a little bit. We're going to look at, this, at the disciples who are guys who actually walked around with Jesus. And we're going to see how they miss it a little bit and what Jesus, how Jesus responds to them. And luckily for us, we get to look back into the story and see what Jesus says and what Jesus talks about. And so I want us to open up our Bibles. If you have one with you, open up to Mark 9 is where we're going to be looking at today. If you were here last week, you can see in chapter 9, starting in verse 2 through 13, there is this time that we looked at called the transfiguration. Now this time is Jesus brings his three closest buddies with him up this mountain. James, uh, John, and Peter. They go up this mountain, and while up there, something crazy happens. Something they've never seen before. All of a sudden, Jesus starts to glow kind of like this bright white. Then we have these two other dead guys appear out of nowhere. 
that had been dead for a long time, but were very important in their faith, Moses and Elijah. And then all of a sudden we have the voice of God kind of call out and say, this is my beloved son. We have this moment where they're uh, like, think about this. If you were James, Peter, or John, it would be kind of crazy, but kind of awesome at the same time. And Peter, last week we looked about how he kind of blurted out and he said, I'll, I'll make some tents for us so we can stay here. And we looked at how maybe he was saying, this is a good place for us to be in. I wish I could just stay in this moment. Right? If I had the opportunity to be there, I would want to stay in that moment with Jesus and Moses and Elijah and God there. That sounds like a good place to be in. When I talk with... Um, when I talk with our high school or middle school students and I ask them, like, when is the closest time you felt close to God? When's the time you felt closest to God? When would that time be for you? When's that time you felt closest to God? Most of our students said when they are away at camp. When they would get away and go to some Christian camp. And it's kind of interesting because if we think about teens today, generalizing them, right, like at camp, they have no internet, they get their cell phones taken away, they have no YouTube or Netflix, right? Like all these things that we know teens, they can't live without, right? And so somehow they do. But we also see that when teens go away, they don't have uh, responsibilities, they don't have the pressures of life, they're not as busy with every activity, they don't have the pressures of the world around them. But then, after their week of camp, or what we like to call like a camp high, they come back to church, or they come back to real life, I mean. Right, like as soon as you walk in the door, I remember this, coming in from camp, and I'm like, this is so awesome, put my bag down, and my mom's like, go put your stuff in the laundry, go clean your room, right, you got some things, you forgot to do the chores, right, like the dog needs to be taken out, and like as soon as you get home, boom, you're in it. Or think about it, maybe, I was trying to think of like, what are some ways for like some more adulty things? Like maybe your kids, your kids have been at camp all week, right? And you're like, this is the closest I've ever felt to God. There's no kids here. There's nothing going, like I have nothing. And then they walk in the door and you're like, oh my goodness. Or like I forgot about them, right? Like, man, right? All of a sudden life hits you. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, okay, we got to be back in it. Life hits us hard. So Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, they're up on this mountain, like a literal mountaintop experience, and they start to head down, and I don't think Peter's very excited about it. I mean, think about that. After all that, that has happened on the mountain, think if someone came up to you and you're like, hey, how was vacation at the lake? Peter's probably like, Dude, it was no, like, Jesus glowing, you know, moment. Oh, how's that steak you ate? Oh, well, it's no, like, voice of God, I'll tell you that much, right? Like, everything is a downer after this moment. So I think, yeah, like, Peter is probably a Debbie Downer after this moment, okay, right? And so we have now where we're going to look at our verses today. The guys are coming back down the mountain. They're, they're going to be joining real life again, what we like to call real life. And we're going to look at what happens in these moments. Mark 9. 14 is where we're going to be. And when they, these four guys, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately, the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to Jesus and greeted him. 
And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd yelled out, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able to. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear you? Talk about getting right back into life. They come down from the mountain. He finally gets with the guys again, gets the group together, and he realizes they're arguing with these people, with the scribes. There's this son that has some like, demon or spirit in him that they, the disciples can't heal. And Jesus cries out, what a generation. No sense of God. How many times do I have to go over this? How much longer do I have to put up with this? This isn't the Jesus I like to hear about. I like Jesus with long, brown, beautiful hair, his perfectly white clothes because he doesn't walk around in dirt ever, and his blue sash is always so sashy, you know? It's so good. I don't know, okay? And so he's like, right, like Jesus, he, he's always on the ground, like talking with kids and, and having them come and taking in the outsider. And this Jesus, this Jesus gets frustrated and irritated. And he literally says, oh, faithless generation, how longer do I have to be with you? Like that stings a bit, Jesus. I hope you know. Like I don't like this Jesus. Last week, with the transfiguration in this, this moment, we see how Jesus is fully God. But now this week, we, we see how Jesus is fully man. That he deals with frustrations just like you and I do. That he looks around the world, or he looks around his community, and he goes, man, something's messed up here. I wish it could be a little better. Like, something's a little off. We're still not getting it. Like, I've been teaching these disciples, and they're still missing it. Faithless generation. But why is Jesus so disappointed? Why does he say this to the disciples, that they're faithless? Well, we just have to look back a few chapters. In Mark 3, Jesus gives the disciples the authority to cast out demons. So he says, like, hey, you guys are going to go out, and this is going to be something you can do now. You'll be able to cast out demons. And then in chapter 6, it says, they go out and they do it. They go and heal people and cast demons out. But now, in chapter 9, all of a sudden, they can't. It's kind of like they've taken two steps forward and one step back. They had the authority. They actually already accomplished this thing. And now they can't. And Jesus is saying, what a faithless generation. I know I've heard this before. Maybe you've heard this. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Right? Like that one, right? Like, I know you're better than this. Jesus here is telling the disciples, man, for some reason, you at one time were able to do this, but now all of a sudden you can't. Maybe it's the fear 
or because Jesus, James, John, and Peter, they're all up this mountain, like the, the four guys that were like the main body of this group weren't there. Maybe that was part of the unbelief. Like, I can't do it. We don't have, we don't have John here. How am I going to, I can't do this. Jesus isn't with me. Or maybe they're nervous. Maybe they're lo- just looking at themselves. Trying to put power in themselves. How many times do I have to go over these things? Jesus gets frustrated and mad at them. But he doesn't leave it there. Jesus doesn't just abandon the situation. He actually steps in to what they're dealing with. And he also, at the end, will look at how he steps in to the life of the disciples to teach them. So look back in your verses in verse 20. Let's continue on. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him in the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Let's take a minute there. Look at the response of the father. He says this line, if you can do anything, help us. Or no, sorry. Yeah, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now the father has had some belief. He believed in the guys and in who Jesus was because that's why he brings his son there in the first place. He thinks, hey, I can heal these. If these guys are healing people, maybe they can heal my son. And so we see that he brings him there in the first place, but then we see him also start to have some doubts. His opening line is, if you can do anything. The disciples, they couldn't do it. He brings his boy in, his, in, in all the pain, and he's challenged with what's going on with his son's life. He says, man, if they can't heal him, maybe Jesus can't as well. Right? This, this father starts to doubt. He starts to wonder, can this really be something that happens for my son and for my life? And oftentimes when I read in the Bible, I never, I like always, when I look in it and I put myself in this situation, I'm never the guy who has unbelief. I'm never the guy that's, that messes up. But I want us to think about that. Like this book talks about, I have unbelief. So what are some doubts? Inside of your uh, little bulletin thing here, there's, if you open it, wow, crazy, okay. You open this, there's a little spot inside here with some notes that you can take down. I put down one, two, and three because I was prepared. That's right, you've passed her prepared. Okay, and so I have one, two, three ready for you to write these down. Number one, the first belief or doubt that we deal with is number one, we don't believe because we lack the truth about God. We don't believe because we lack the truth about God. We may not know who God really is. We don't know what God is like or what God has done for us. And so if we don't know who God is or what God's done for us, then we can't really fully believe in who God is. The second unbelief that we deal with is we believe lies about God. 
We might know certain truths about God, but fail to believe those truths because we've been deceived into believing lies. Maybe we believe that God's not in control, so I have to take control. Or maybe God's not so great, so I need to deal with the situation. Or I should look to someone else. And the third unbelief that we deal with is this one. We fail to put our faith in what we know to be true about God. We say we believe something, but our lives don't actually show it. We, We say it, but we don't live it. What's, the, what's one of those unbeliefs that maybe you deal with? So we have this father who's dealing with doubt. He says, if you can do anything, help us. He says this line, if you can do anything, help us. But then Jesus responds and he says this. Look at verse 23. Uh, Yeah, 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. I think I kind of read this in two ways. The first one, when when we read this if you can section, I think that Jesus is kind of almost like taken back. Like, if you can do anything, Jesus, we'd love your help. He's like, if you can't, like, I'm Jesus. Like, I heal people. I walk on water. I could do whatever I want. Like, that's my first reaction. Like, that's totally Jesus, right? Like, come on. I'm Jesus. Like, let's go. I can do whatever I want. But I think there's also another way we can read this. And he's saying, Jesus is kind of flipping it back onto the Father. And he says, if you can. He says, if you can believe in me, all things are possible. He says, if you can believe in who I am, all things are possible. Now, when I say that, all things are possible for one who believes, do you instantly go like, yeah, that is truth? Or do you kind of go, yeah, kind of not. Like, not everything. Like, come on. Not all things are possible for the one who believes. Like, right there, I think we can probably see in ourselves a little bit of unbelief. Like, it can't be that good. It sounds too amazing, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound too good? Yeah, it might be good for, or might work for some people who are better, who've been following Jesus more. Like, all things are possible for someone else, but not for me. Right? Do I really think that God could make a motorcycle appear right here? Right? Okay, that would have been pretty awesome. I bet, you know, I probably got a raise or something, you know, but like, you know. But he didn't. It didn't happen. Right? Now, do I think that God has the power to actually make a motorcycle appear? Yeah, I do. I think he could do it. But I don't think he will. Right? Like, and, I'll t- and I think that we need to look a little bit back in our verse to see someone who believes in Jesus a little better than me. In Mark 1, verse 40, a leper was a guy who has like sores or some sort of disease all over his body that would cast him out of society. He couldn't be a part of it. He was a reject. He was an outsider. And he comes to Jesus. And kneeling, he said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, 
You can make me clean. The, the leper knows the truth of Jesus. He believes in who Jesus is. And he puts his faith into Jesus. His opening line is, if you will, you can make me clean. He says, I know that I want to be clean. I have my desires and what I want for my life. But what I want is your will to be done in my life. Like, yes, okay, I want this for me. But is it your will? I think too often when I am talking with God or thinking about God and reading my Bible about, with God, it's like, Oftentimes, I'll say like, okay, God, I need these things. Can you help me out here? And if it's your will, that'd be cool too. But here we see the leper. He starts out saying, if you will. I want Jesus' will, God's will for my life. So when we look back at the verse today, and we see this interaction between Jesus and this Father. He says, anything is possible for those who believe if it aligns with the will of God. Anything is possible if it aligns with the will of God. That's why there's no motorcycle right here. So do we pray or do we talk with God with his will in mind? Let's look at the last verses here. Verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. The father, he has some belief, but he's also realizing, man, there's a lot of things and places in my life that I don't believe in what you are or who you are. He understands that. I think it probably sounds too good for him. Wait, all you're saying is all I have to, be all I have to do is believe and my son is healed? That can't be that easy. It seems too simple today. All we need to do is believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he then wants a relationship with me. Don't we think we need to be better or good enough? That I need to follow better and then God will love me? I think it would almost be easier if Jesus said, okay, go and help five people and then I'll love you enough. Like if you, after you've done that, then. But he doesn't. He says, all you need to do is trust me and believe in who I am and we can have a relationship. Ephesians 2.8 says, we have been given grace through faith. Saving is all God's idea, all God's work. All we do is trust God enough to let him do it. We can't put our faith in ourselves. I think that's what the disciples here kind of do. They put their faith in themselves. At the very end, if you look at the verse, we'll look at it in a minute, but they said, they asked Jesus questions. They said, why could we not cast it out? Right? I think their focus is a bit on themselves. Like, why couldn't we do it? Don't we think we need to be good enough before God will be with us 
or God will show us love. If we try to put our faith in ourselves, then we think we need to be good enough and that will never work out. We mess up. We're humans. We fail. And it puts too much pressure on us. And I think oftentimes this happens a lot in youth ministries and with our kids is we put a lot of pressure on them to be a certain way and they think if I fail that and I'm not like that, then God doesn't love me anymore. But that's not what God is all about. And that's not who God is. There's a moment of freedom when we put our faith in God, when we really trust in who God is. And he says, I love you. I've already died for your sins. I've already saved you. And you already can have a relationship with me. We're not saved because of what we do. We're only saved by our faith in Christ. So don't let yourself slip into this unbelief. And I'd have to say, this is the one I fail with the most. I often think to myself, like, why would Jesus want a relationship with Aaron? Right? I know my mistakes. I know my failures. I know where I've messed up. I know that I'm like a, a, a bearded, balding, single dude that lives in Dallas. Like, why would Jesus love this guy? Right? Like, come on. Like, pretty much my mom. That's all I got right now, okay? <laughs> why, why, would, why would Jesus love me? And so I often think about this. And so I have people in my life that when I bring these things up, they're able to speak truth into me and say like, hey, Aaron, you know what? God does love you. It doesn't matter about this, this, and this. God loves you. He cares about you. He's died for you, and he wants a relationship with you. And so if we don't have those people in our lives, or we don't have people that we're sharing to, I think we need that. Don't slip into these unbeliefs. Now, I want us to kind of think about this for a second. What I want us to really be aware of is that what I'm, not, I'm not saying that all you have to do is believe in this thing and that's it. I want to read one more verse. And probably a couple more verses, let's be honest. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Now, some of you might be saying like, ha, I knew there was a catch, right? I knew there was something you were going to get me on. But what it is, is if you really believe and trust in God, it will change your life. It will alter how you live with the people around you. It's kind of like saying, oh, I'm going to go on a diet, right? Like, I know I need to be healthier. It's going to be good for my health, right? But then you don't change what you eat. Are you on a diet? Right? No. And that's the same thing that happens with our relationship with God. Are we not just believing, but also living it out? Is this something that takes a hold of our lives? And so this kind of all leads us to this one question of then how do we grow our faith? If we're called to grow our faith, then how do we do it? And we know that faith can grow because here Jesus says, faithless generation. And then later we see people, him talking about having the faith of a mustard seed. And then he also talks about people that have great faith. And if you want to see some stories about great faith, you can open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11. 
and see people that had great faith. So how can we grow in our faith? And it's, it's awesome. It's by connecting with God. It's investing in our relationship to God. It's by becoming more like Jesus. If we want to grow in our faith, we need to become more like Christ. To believe in who God is and what he says about us. So how then do we connect with God? How do we invest in our relationship? i got three quick things. The first one, look again last time in your verse, verse 25. The, the father has cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this, can, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I think this is a way, when we ask the question, how can I grow my faith, is one way through prayer. Prayer is connecting to and listening to God. Oftentimes I think prayer becomes like this wish list that we kind of spout off and, and go, hey, God, if you can do these things, it's going to make my life a lot better. Just do this, 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 and this, and it'll be great. But I think prayer is less about trying to get God to do something we want God to do and more about getting ourselves to do what God wants us to do, to become the person who God wants us to become. There are times when we speak and we cry and we yell at God, but there's also times that we sit in silence and are held by God. I think we pray so that God's character, who God is, becomes our character, becomes who we are. And so prayer is really a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice. And here's some other spiritual practices. And I teach our youth students this every year. I don't know if they've realized that yet, but I teach them every year these things. And why? It's because I think that we all, no matter where you're at, if you're a non-believer, if, if you never have had faith and trust in Jesus, so you've been doing this all your life, we can continue to grow. And so through prayer and Bible study, fasting, worship, service and community and fellowship, these are ways that we can grow our faith. If you want to like, at, like, hey, Aaron, what are some ways that I could work on this? Um, there's a book that you could look up. Just look up Richard Foster, and he writes a ton about spiritual disciplines, and I read him all the time. He does great things. And so one way that we can grow is through spiritual practices. Another way we can grow in our relationship with God is by investing in the people around us. In verse 31, it says that they go off and they kind of leave. And then it says, he did not want anyone to know and Jesus was teaching his disciples. 
Right? Jesus doesn't just leave them. He teaches them. He continues to teach them in and through his whole life on earth. And I think we as well are called to teach others. And now you might be thinking, well, yeah, the youth pastor, he must be, wants to invest in younger generations. I think that's what God calls us to. To look around and look at the people below us in either age or in faith and say, hey, I want to help you move along in your faith. And also, you should be looking at someone older than you in faith or in age and say, like, hey, help me grow in my relationship with Christ. I asked a bunch of um, our leaders, our pastors, and some of the, the adult leaders uh, for the youth ministries, and I said, like, hey, was there someone in your life when you were a teenager that invested in you? And what was it about that relationship that, was, that stood out to you? And oftentimes, they said things like they were honest. They were authentic. Right? That they were there for them. That they showed their passion for God. It wasn't that they were cool or they were hip or they had the tightest jeans on in the room, right? It was like, they related to me. They were there for me. They invested in me, right? They wanted to be there for me. They wanted to help me. I think our, our teens, they're sitting right there. Our teens in this world, they want this. They desire this. But sadly, we've kind of missed the boat. We've kind of let them like, I read a lot of books on this, and it feels like sometimes we've kind of let them kind of grow up by themselves. And so I think, especially in the church, if we're not looking around for someone to invest in, we've really missed something. Even in our video, remember the video of the girl super nervous as she's about ready to go? You can hear, a, like, an older guy kind of help her out. Say, hey, remember, don't snowplow. I think, I don't know what that is. I don't ski. But don't, don't do it. All right? Don't go slower. Just be, go straight. There's someone there encouraging her, helping her, like, get down the thing. Right? Like, okay, you can do this. We can do this together. I'm going to help you. I'm here. I'm telling you what to do. This is the way you can live. And that's what we're called to be doing for the next generation. The last thing that I think we are called, or a way that we can grow in our faith, is by taking risks with our faith in Christ, taking risks. For some of us, it might just be coming back to church next week. That might be the risk in your life. Or maybe for you, it's to talk to the person you're sitting next to or inviting someone to come to church with you or just sharing your faith with someone you work with or finding someone to invest in. Right? What is that thing that you can do? Because I don't think we can grow when we are comfortable. I think we only grow when we're challenged. And yes, it's going to be scary, and it's going to be hard to believe in God and to listen to what God has. But faith makes all things possible, but not necessarily easy. We're going to watch the end of this video. Go. 
this is the top of the first time freaks you out. That's the only thing. It's so fun. Huh? 60 seems like nothing now. Whoa! Right, like, look how jacked up. This, yeah, like, they're so excited. Like, man, they're so, like, I love it. The, the line is like, the suspense at the top is what freaks you out. Right? That waiting, that guessing, that unbelief, that questioning yourself. You're like, oh, I don't know. And when we let that grab us, when we let that unbelief or fear just hold on to us, and we can't really trust in who God is, we sit at the, at the top of the hill, not able to move. But if we are able to truly believe and take that plunge into what God has for us, one day, maybe this week, maybe months, you'll get a look back and you'll get to go, woo! It was awesome. And you know what? After you do it once, it becomes a little bit easier the next time. And you're able to grow in your faith. And so I hope that we are a church and a place where we're willing to kind of like step off that ledge because we believe in who God is and we trust in him so much that yes, it is going to be scary and yes, it's going to be hard, but man, is it going to be good. When we look back and we go, man, that was scary, but that was awesome. That's, that's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for who you are and your love for us. And that you've done all the work. That you died and rose again so that we can have a relationship with you. And now all we do is believe in you. And trust in you. And so Lord, I pray that we don't let that unbelief and fear take hold. And keep us frozen at the top of the hill. But Lord, I pray that we follow you and what you have for our lives because you are the best and the best thing for us and the best way to live. And so, Lord, I pray that we continue to grow in our faith, continue to grow into who you have us to become. And we do this all to glorify you. In your holy and precious name, amen. Father in heaven, how is it all well with all that we go through? Father, we do look to you this morning because life is hard and full and stressful. Father, we're standing at the top of the ski slope. Not sure if we want to go down. Father, we are, we believe, but we have unbelief. Father, we want to know you and honor you and follow you in our lives, but we struggle to know how. So how is it well? It is well, Father, because of your son. So, Father, we thank you for your son, for his life, death, and resurrection. Father, we thank you for the rescue plan you enacted that came to be at the cross that takes us from death to life, from darkness to light, from stuck in sin to free in you. 
So Lord, this morning, Father, we thank you for rescuing us in Jesus. We believe, help our unbelief. God, search our hearts, know our hearts, reveal to us the ways in which we don't trust you, the areas in which we remain in control. God, help us to give those areas over. Help us to trust you more. Thanks for Pastor Aaron's reminder that you want so much more for us. Not that we have to earn your love or or match up to your standards, but God, that you call us to step forward, trusting you more and more because we're gonna get to look back and go, yes, God was with me and he's working in me. And this is life, life with Jesus. So it is well with me. It is well with our church family because you love us in Christ. We thank you for the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,